This morning we're going to be taught by Ben Brown. Ben, uh, ben and his family have been in our church for a long time, so probably doesn't need an introduction, but just in case some of you are newer to the church and haven't had a chance to meet Ben, that's what doing. Ben and Lindsay have been here for 19, 20 years, 19 years at MRBC. Ben and Lindsay serve downstairs often during the Sunday school time. He teaches currently our fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class, um, been a faithful leader and servant in our church during that time, leads a care group among many other things. So Ben's going to be teaching us this morning from Psalm 139. There's no handout, so just take notes as you can on your notebook. Um, if you're looking for a handout, you didn't miss anything. Uh, there's not a handout this morning, but Psalm 139. Ben, uh, come and teach us. Well, good morning. Like Myra said, normally I'm down teaching fourth and fifth grade. Uh, I told the kids I was teaching up here today, and they said, are you going to do sword drills? And we're not going to do sword drills, but uh, I thought that would be really fun as, as adults to do them. But uh, as Myro said, we're going we're gonna to go through Psalm 139 this morning, but I thought I'd open us up in prayer. So, Lord, we're just so thankful for this time in our, in our busy weeks to pause and reflect on your goodness, to study your word, to delve into those truths, Lord, to just be filled with awe of who you are and all you've done in our lives. I pray as we study Psalm 139 this morning that um, we would just, as David, be completely overwhelmed by who you are and who we are in light of that. And I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So as you guys are turning to Psalm 139, this is a very familiar psalm. Uh, there are lots of themes here that are referenced. We reference all the time. Uh, one of them in particular is uh, quite poignant in the light of the last few weeks. But as you turn there, I would just ask you to take a second and think about the one person in your life who knows you the most, who knows you the most. I would hope for most of us that would be our spouse. Um, that could be a close friend, a close associate. Um, I'm sure at one point in our lives that was our mother's. Uh, but think about that one person who knows you the most. I would argue that that person knows virtually nothing about you. As much as uh, I love my wife, I study her, I uh, desire to honor her and serve her and love her as Christ loved the church, I only know what I can see. Right? And obviously, it's my prayer that I do know her quite well. But in the light of this section of scripture, I think it's going to be easy for you to see that we don't know each other very well. But there is one person in all of the universe who knows everything about you, and that is the Almighty God and Creator of all things. David, the author of this psalm, understood this. He knew just how intimate God's knowledge of him was. So again, as we go through Psalm 139, David is going to explore that relationship. He explores that intimacy, and he worships God for that knowledge of himself. So as we break down this psalm, we're going to take a look at an intimate look at four elements of God's character displayed in the life of the psalmist. Four elements of God's character displayed in the life of the psalmist. The first of those elements of God's character displayed in, in David's life 
is that God knows all things about his life. Or if you'd like to look at it this way, God is omniscient. And that's found in verses 1 through 6. So Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So again, in this section, God knows all things about our lives. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He starts this psalm with this, and he ends it with this. We'll get back to that in in verse 23. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. David starts out with just a very simple declaration of truth. God has searched and known him. Now, just a little note on that. God doesn't have to search. He doesn't have to explore like we have to explore. He doesn't have to find these things out. He knows these things, right? He already knows all men everywhere intimately. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, just teaching on this section, said, The Lord knows us as thoroughly as if he had examined us minutely and had pried into the most secret corners of our being. Uh, David uses this in a figurative way. Again, God does not have to search anything. He knows everything, just to clarify that for you. But he uses this figurative language to help us understand just how intimate this knowledge is. Um, You know, I can say I know Myrl or I know Dave Foss, uh, but without completely searching out all areas and aspects of that person and who they are, I cannot say that I know them the way that David is describing God's knowledge of him here. Does that make sense? So when I said you don't know that person or that person doesn't know you, this is the measure we're measuring that against. You can obviously know people and you should know people and you should be intimately involved in each other's lives to where you do know each other. But at this level, God has searched me and known me. We can't have that. We can't experience that. But God does. He goes on then in the next few verses to describe just how intimate this knowledge is. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Before, oh Lord, you know it all. These three verses start to really paint a picture for us, right, of how deeply God knows you. God knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He understands your thoughts from afar before you even have them. He knows your path and your lying down. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He knows all these things. He scrutinizes them. And this scrutinization, it's, 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 a, it's a scattering. It's an understanding of all the directions and all the paths and a direction there. There's a, there's a focus and a direction to all those things. 
He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And again, this is your directions. This is your habits. This is your courses of life. This is your moral character. He is intimately acquainted with all those things that we can so easily try to hide in the dark. He gives an example here of knowing David so well that before the word is even on his tongue, really, even before it is in his head, he knows it all, right? He knows every thought in our heads, every word before it ever is even on our tongues. Your person you thought of cannot know you this way. I think of my folks. They sell, they're going to celebrate 50 years of marriage this year. They don't know each other this way. I talked to Doc Oaks this morning. Him and Patty have been married for 59 years, and they don't know each other this well. God intimately knows everything about you. What a joy in that, right? There is no hiding anything. There's no putting on your happy Sunday morning face and fooling him like we like to fool others, right? In what ways are we trying to hide from him? Think about that in your life. How are you trying to hide from him? What things do you wish he didn't know? He knows it all. David goes on in verse 5, You have enclosed me before, behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. This enclosing before and behind, and then your hand on top of you, David's painting the picture here. He feels a little trapped. He felt trapped by this truth. His hand is, his hand is on him, and he can't get away. Um, I was trying to think of a good example of that. Or if, you, if you've got a dog that is kind of getting riled, you know, riled up, and you put your hand on him, and you calm him, and you hold him there, to sit as you're teaching them those things. That's kind of the picture there. You you are enclosed before and behind by this knowledge that God has for you, of you. Um, This knowledge is too wonderful for David, and it should be too wonderful for us. This is not like the, the wonderful that we often think about. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. That's awesome. But it is literally too full of wonder or too awesome. We are so full of awe that it is too awesome for us. It is so much that we cannot comprehend it. You guys see that? You sense David as he sang this, kind of feeling a little bit trapped in that? David is overwhelmed by this truth, truth, and he's also convicted by it. Uh, Even just the questions that I asked you, he was convicted by it. God knows every single element of every thought and action about you. He knows your motivations, your desires, your words before they even escape your lips. How awesome is it that God knows you this well? How incredible is his grace and mercy that although he knows you that well, He still desires for you to know you, for you to know him, and for him to know you. I think about the person who knows me the most, and if they knew me this well, if they knew every thought, every motivation, every inkling in my heart, would they still have any desire to know me? 
would they be willing to offer me the same grace that God has extended? Take a second and truly think about that. God knows all of you. I know, my, I know myself. I'm stuck in this head. I know, I know all the thoughts that crossed my mind, all the sinful thoughts, the sinful inclinations, the desire to flee, the desire to run, the desire for wrong things in my life. God knows all those things too. Yet he still desires for me to know him. In the midst of all that, he extended his grace to us. David sees that here. He realizes in his own head what he is. And he is in awe of the fact that God would still love him, would still desire for him. God knows you even better than you know yourself. And not only has he blotted, not blotted you out, I know my heart. God had every right to zap me with a bolt and send me straight to hell. Right? But he loves you and desires for you to know him. What a God. I don't know about you, but as I think about that, that is humbling. That's a little bit scary. That's convicting. It's intense. And yet absolutely amazing all at the same time. You guys kind of get a sense from David here of those emotions that are being elicited? So God knows him. He knows every single part about his life. God is omniscient in our lives. Obviously in this I've been describing it in an almost a two-faced way. There's a really, really positive side of that. There's kind of a scary side of that. You know, David wants to flee from this. And as we get into the next one, his desire to flee, as he introduces his desire to flee, he's going to explain to us the second element of God's character displayed in his life, and that is God is everywhere in his life, or God is omnipresent. So the first element we talked about is God knows all things about David's life. This next one is God is everywhere in David's life. God is omnipresent. This is verses 7 through 12. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. So again, verse 7 to 12, God is everywhere in his life. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? What an honest question that David has here. How can I get away from this? This is too much for me to handle. How do I get away? Um, I don't know. I I find myself in situations in my life um, where I just want to run sometimes, right? Some of you know me. I hunt a lot. I love the outdoors. I just want to get in my truck, drive up into the mountains, and disappear. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have ever had those feelings before. Maybe that's just me. But uh, take my family with me, of course. But... uh, 
I just want to run. Um, David has this same sort of feeling. How do I get away from this? This is too much for me. Um, Surely if you look at your own lives, we all have those moments where we realize, wow, I got to get out of here, right? Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David has these same feelings, but he understands that he has nowhere to run. God is everywhere. He goes on, verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. These two phrases, verse 8 and 9, are really meant to encapsulate all of creation or all of existence, right? From the height of heaven to the depths of the grave, God is there. From the rising of the sun in the east to the remotest part of the sea to the west, this can also be light and darkness. You think about the brightest dawn as the, as the sun rises and those, those rays shine across the sky uh, to the darkest depths of the sea. There's nothing darker than the bottom of the ocean. It's really easy for us to get off on a tangent and delve into all these words, to delve into all the meanings. And there are various meanings on all these things. And uh, there's a lot of debate on exactly what these are describing. But I, I, I hope you see the picture there. And the picture that he's painting is, is quite clear. From the highest of heights to the lowest of depths and from as far as the east is from the west, God is there. You guys see that picture in that? He is there. God is everywhere. Where can David run from his spirit? Where can he flee from his presence? The answer is nowhere. He is everywhere. Verse 10, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You notice here there's a little bit of a shift. David goes from running to flee from these things to realizing even there your hand will lead me. He goes on and he, he's, he goes from seeking to run away to understanding, wait a minute, where God is, so there is guidance and so there is protection. There your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold of me. Imagine, envision that coming alongside someone with your right hand and laying hold of them and guiding them as you go. That's the picture he's painting here. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. If I say, David's saying, hey, if I say this, if I think wrongly and I think this darkness is going to overwhelm me, the reality of it is that God doesn't see that as darkness. God is there with his arm around him, guiding him, protecting him, right? So when David says, if I say, he's realizing when I say these things, I am thinking wrongly. The reality of God is that darkness is not even dark to him. Our perceptions are not correct. And we need to remember to look through God's lenses at these things, right? When, we, when we're in those situations where we feel the darkness is overcoming us, 
We can know and have sweet hope and joy that God is there. He has his arm around us. He is guiding us and directing us in all things. Um, God is there in his hand upon him to guide him back to his ways. When we want to run from him, again, when I want to get in my truck and drive to the mountains and disappear, wherever we go, he is there. What a sweet comfort to know that God will never, ever let us get out of his presence or the sphere of his influence. You can't wander off. I don't know if you guys have ever had a kid in a mall or or in an airport wander off and you freak out for a second because you can't find them. Um, We had that with one of our girls at Silver Dollar City once. I panicked. The Hymans were there. You remember that look on my face. I couldn't find one of my girls. It was not a fun feeling. I'm sure it wasn't a fun feeling for her. We cannot wander off from God. We can think, man, I've been sinning at this I've been doing these things. I've been running from God. Guess what? You can't run. You can't run from him. He's there. He is always there. Just like God's promise to Joshua in Joshua 1 and then the reminder in Hebrews 3, 5, God will never leave you or forsake you. When we do desire to run from situations... Our desire should be to run directly to him, right? We can't run away. We should embrace and enjoy and and reflect on this amazing goodness that God has for us that we can run to him. We don't even have to run. He's already there. It's not like you have to run a mile just to catch up with him. He's there. Um, So you guys see that shift that David has had in the midst of this. Your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. What great comfort there is there. God is all around you. He knows you perfectly and he is always there. God is everywhere in David's life. So not only does God's omniscience and omnipresence comfort us in the day-to-day, David also hammers home how intimate God's knowledge of us is in our creation. Because God is creator. That is our third element of God's character displayed in David's life. God is the creator of his life. God the creator. This is verses 13 through 18. For you have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am, with, I am still with you. So God is the creator of David's life. For, for, in light of all these things, in light of God's omniscience and omnipresence, for you formed my inward parts. God knows him so well because he formed him. He knows all of his inward parts. 
He was there in that. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. God made David. He made each and every one of us. You know, I've been blessed to witness all four of them. I've got four daughters. I've been blessed to witness all four of those girls plus four other kids that we lost in their mother's womb. Sonograms are amazing things. We can see their little faces, their little toes. Um, We even got to see some 3D imaging on some of the later ones. They give us the ability to see our children before they arrive in this world. God sees so much clearer than any sonogram or any 3D image. He formed our bones and knit us together. Think about the care and attention to detail that a weaver uses to weave. Have you guys ever seen a really well-done woven rug? All the planning that goes into that. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't get it. Any of you weavers out there, I'm in awe of you how you can align all those things and weave in such a way to create intricate patterns and all those things. And they're perfect. God wove us together. It took planning. It took care. He created all of the atoms and molecules that make up our substance, as well as the parts of us that we cannot see, like our hearts and our souls. Just like a good weaver weaving a a tapestry or a rug, he also weaves together all of our experiences. He weaves together every moment of every day of your entire life, every thought, every interaction, every sin in our lives, every blessing, all those things through your entire life were orchestrated by God to weave and shape you into the exact person who's sitting here today at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 3rd of July. God perfectly orchestrated all those things. He formed your substance in your mother's womb. How can you possibly look at this body that God has given us and not wonder at the majesty of God's creation? I mean, look at your hand for a second. I mean, think about what it takes for us to close our fists the atoms and molecules and everything in it, it blows your mind. You know, our hands can be used. Um, Phil Chang here, he, he works on babies' hearts. He's a surgeon. He uses his hands intricately to patch and fix hearts. This same fist and hand can be turned into a fist to fight and defend, right? God created us in this way. It's insane to think about what all it takes for us to have a functioning hand to have the, the signals from this lump of kind of jelly up in here to, to tell it to do this, right? It's awesome. It's incredible what God has done in our creation. What a God. Don't miss verse 14. Are you thankful? Are you truly thankful for this body God has blessed you with? Are you truly thankful that the Lord has woven every element of your life into who you are today? It's easy for us in our desires to have 
stronger bodies and thinner bodies and bigger bodies and all the different things that we want, want, want in this world to be ungrateful. But God has given you your shell, your body. He puts your spirit and your heart in there. He formed it and created, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you thankful for that? Are we all thankful for that? Are you thankful for everyone else's? Are you rejoicing with them and how God has created them? David only has one response to that truth, and that's wonder and awe and thankfulness, obviously. Wonder and awe. God's works are wonderful. This wonderful is a little bit different than the wonderful before. You know, not like the wonderful that we think of when he's talking about such knowledge is too wonderful for me, meaning he cannot understand it. This wonderful is truly the wonder that we talk about, the joy, the happiness that that brings. This is wonderful, right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's works are wonderful. They are surpassing. They are extraordinary. They are marvelous. David's soul knows it very well. And we should know it very well as well. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, my frame was not hidden from the Lord. Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So not only did God see David in his mother's womb and know his unformed substance, all the days of his life, are laid out in God's book. So as we think about how how intimately God knows us in our creation, we are created with purpose in mind, with intentionality. Not only did God see David in his mother's womb, but he understood every single day. From before time began, all of our days were spelled out. What what an amazing God that he not only created us, but he created us for that purpose. He ordained every day we would walk through on this earth. He has a plan in all of it. He is sovereign in all of it. I could have put a fifth characteristic here and gone into God's sovereignty. But he knows every single day of all of your life. What a joy. God knows you that well. He created you. He created you for a purpose. His eyes have seen these things. We didn't really go into it in the uh, omnipresence too much, but when you think about God and time, God exists outside of time, right? He doesn't have a time frame like ours. God knows negative nine-months-old Ben, 42-year-old Ben, And we'll see 90-year-old Ben, perhaps, 67, we'll see. He exists in all those times, in all those places. He knows me intimately. He has every day planned. He has woven and orchestrated everything in my entire life to where I will be at those situations. And he has ordained and planned for me to serve him in those areas and to work for him and do all those things. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and you have known all my days. No one on this earth can possibly know us in this way, right? 
No one will know. No one right now knows what 80-year-old Rick is going to be like. It'll be fun to meet him, right? He knows every moment of the rest of our lives, and he exists outside of time. He is very much here today as he is at our birth, as he is at our death. Now, you can't go through this section without taking a, section, a second to pause. There are a lot of lives in this world who never see that first day. Um, in light of uh, the times that we live in, there are a lot of babies who never make it out of that womb. Um, we can absolutely be rejoicing in some of the decisions that have been made in the last couple of weeks. Um, we can be excited for the lives that will potentially be saved by those decisions. Um, and there's a lot of laws to be passed and states' decisions to be made that will affect all those things. Um, but Myrl really did a great service for my heart last week when he reminded us that no law, no ordinance will save the souls of those children. Um, we can absolutely rejoice and be thankful that uh, for God's gift of life um, and thankful that uh, laws will hopefully hit the books to protect some of those lives. Uh, but we also need to remember that we need to be about God's work on this earth. So all those souls that are saved will hear the truth of the gospel. God has given us a work to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that is commanded to us. Even that great, remind, great commandment reminds us at the end that, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. God is with us. Let's be about his work. Now, obviously, if we are given opportunities to stand up and defend the rights of those unborn, we should take advantage of those things, right? We should be serving in areas where we can help educate women on the decisions that they're making in their lives. There are votes for Kansans coming up that have extreme significance, and we should take advantage of those things. But let's not lose sight of those are souls that need the gospel and need saving. And the mothers and the parents of those souls need the same. So what a sweet reminder in the midst of this psalm that God knows us. We are alive in our mother's wombs. He is forming us and he knows our days. Um, we should never take that for granted. We should never lose sight of that. Verse 17 then, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It is so neat to see David's transition in this psalm from, from desiring to flee from the fact that God knows him to now just basking in the idea of how precious are God's thoughts to him. How vast is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Excuse me. How precious are your thoughts? Specifically, his thoughts of David and his life. God has it all planned out and thought out. 
God has not created and set loose. He didn't start this thing, spin the top and walk away like some would believe. He has sovereignly planned out every moment of every day of your existence from conception to eternity future with him or without for an unbeliever. That's a sweet joy that we can have in knowing those things. And you see that here in David. How precious are those thoughts? How precious is that plan for me? God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He knows all things. He is everywhere. God is omniscient and omnipresent in your creation. God is the creator of all things. In response then to all these super high thoughts of God, David cries out in an honest prayer to the Lord, asking him to set him apart or to make him holy as God is holy. So our fourth element of God's character displayed in David's life is God is making him holy and setting him apart. God is holy in verses 19 through 24. God is holy. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. So in light of the awe that David is feeling as he reflects on God knowing him intimately, God being everywhere, God creating him and ordaining every single day, David desires nothing less than to be separated from God's enemies. To be holy is to be set apart. When David says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, he is asking them to depart from him. Slay them, kill them, get them far away from me. I want to have nothing to do with them. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. Get away. The wicked speak against you, and they take your name in vain. God's enemies aren't just the outspoken enemies of the Lord who are out there fighting against God. The people who desire the death of Christians and all the other things that we oftentimes think of. And at the time of David, the armies and the nations who were seeking to destroy the nation of Israel. This is also the men and women who speak against them and take his name in vain. Those who claim him and at their hearts are enemies of the Lord. David desires to be away from them as well. We live in a time and in a world where there's a lot of false faith, false religion. We live in a nation who claims to be a Christian nation. We witness every day the the falsehood in that. There are men and women preaching right now this morning, prosperity gospels, gospels that are not the one true gospel. They speak out against the Lord. They claim him, yet live their lives completely opposite of the plan that he has for us. They are all enemies 
of God. And David desires to be away from them, as we should as well. We should obviously desire that those men come to saving faith in the Lord and be turned into friends, just as we were once enemies, right? It's interesting when you look at verse 22 or 21 and 22, um, in our, in our current uh, climate, our current vernacular of this age, the term hate is very harsh, right? We teach our kids not to use the term hate. Um, it's funny, I got a neighbor who apparently hate has no home in their home. He's got one of those little signs outside that says that. Um, we, we don't like the term hate, right? This use of hate should help us to see just how passionate and zealous David is in this, right? There is, there is an intensity in this feeling. In David's time, these enemies were, were, were real and would attack and fight and, and seek to to harm him. He was defending the nation of Israel. So that term hate for us cannot mean we desire their destruction. It cannot mean that we desire them to die. But it should be, the experience that we have with those people should be that we desire for them to stop being enemies of the Lord. And the only way to stop being an enemy of the Lord is to believe in the truth of his son and be saved from the sin and the life that we live, right? It goes back to that, that uh, the Great Commission that we talked about in the last, last section. Our hearts and our, and our zeal and our desire should be for those things. Um, not only does he not want to have anything to do with them, he wants them wants to be in firm opposition to the enemies of the Lord. David proclaims here that any enemy of God is an enemy of his. So my question for you, do you have this same zeal? Desire, desire to not ruffle feathers or to be seen as judgmental hold us back from this measure of desire to see God's enemies opposed? Now, I'm not, I'm not encouraging anyone here to be belligerent or to be unkind or to, to seek to fight in a physical sense these things, you know. This is not, we're not starting the next crusades, right? Uh, but we do need to be willing and able to stand up to false teachers and false doctrine and to speak out when opportunity arises. Um, the heart we should always have in those things, though, is that we're pointing them back to the truth. We're pointing them back to the one true God, right? So again, in the spirit of that zeal and that desire to be separate from these men, he goes on. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any evil way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. At the very start of this, David opened with, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. He comes back to that idea and asks the Lord to search me, O oh God, and know my heart. So he goes from a past tense of God has searched him out to a very present and active sense of God search my heart. He goes from this sense of 
I want to get away from this. This is freaking me out. I'm out of here. To, Lord, please do search my heart. Help me to, to root out and eliminate these, these thoughts and things that would align me with your enemies. Check and see, Lord, if there be any evil way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. You have searched me and known me. Now search me, O God, and know me. Search me, Lord, and find me holy, is another way for David to have said that. Set my every thought and intent of my heart apart for you, O God, and then lead me in the everlasting way. David desired to be completely set apart from the enemies of God, and he desired to be led by God on the way everlasting. Only God's way is everlasting. God's path leads to life. David knows that, and he sees that. As, as, you, as you read this section, as I read this section and studied this section, I find in my own heart sometimes I don't, I, don't, I don't hate those things that God hates. I don't despise those things. I don't have this measure of zeal in my life. But my hope would be that I could say with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. That should be our desire. That should be our heart towards him, that we say, Lord, search it out. Take it all away. Help me to flee from those things. Help me to be aligned with your paths. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. How many of us here are anxious all the time? We get anxious about the littlest of things. And in the light of the fact that God is, knows all things, is everywhere, created you, has a perfect plan for you, and is actively setting you apart, how can we be anxious? There should be peace and great hope and joy there. David sees that and is zealous for those things. He desires those things. Do you desire those things? Do you desire that same separation, that rooting out of things in our heart? Are those things in your heart that you're holding on to, that you're clinging to, that you don't want to let go? Ask the Lord to search those things out in your life. Now, those people who do know you the best, ask them to help. God has created this amazing thing called a church. You have brothers and sisters sitting right beside you today who would love to help understand your heart better, to encourage you, to build you up, to draw you to that path the Lord is on, and the Lord would have you to be on. So do you find peace in this psalm? Do you find comfort? Hopefully, yes. Or are you sitting there perhaps finding fear and condemnation for your own heart and intentions? It's easy again for us to come, put on our happy church faces, pretend like everything's good, in our lives, and to ignore 
the inklings in our heart that something's wrong, right? Do you find fear and condemnation in your heart as you read this psalm? If that's the case, there's only one answer to that, and that's the gospel. True faith in the Son of God who came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross to bear the final penalty for the sins that you have committed, was rose again the third day to conquer death and give you an avenue to being an enemy of God, to being not only a friend, but a joint heir with Christ. That is the only way for you to fight those feelings that you have inside, for you to have peace with the Lord. For those of us who have believed those things, can you say like David, search me and know me? Are, those thing, are there things in your life right now that you don't want to be, you don't want God to search out? Are there sins in your lives that you're harboring? That if you're honest with yourself, you enjoy so much you don't want to stop? Right? Are there, are there things that you, are, that you are hiding from your Christian brothers? Can you say like David, search me and know me? Lord, please search me and know me. Help me to see my own heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't understand them. But we can certainly be desiring to live holy lives and to set apart for the Lord. And we can desire that God is searching out our hearts. Are we being prayerful? Are we being mindful to be in God's word and to be studying it, to learn who God is and emulate him in our lives and search and root these things out. I'm absolutely preaching to myself right now. We have got to be able and willing to take a true and honest look at our own heart and life and see if there's any wickedness in it. I mean, we're not fooling ourselves. God knows and he sees it all. We can't hide anything from him. I can hide a lot of stuff from other people. But I cannot hide a single thing from the Lord. What an amazing God, though. Don't forget, if you're feeling that condemnation, if you're feeling that weight of your own sin, what an amazing God, though, who can search us and know us, and yet still, by his grace, chose to lead us in the way everlasting. God knew every sinful thought you would ever have. God knew every inkling of our heart as enemies of him. Yet while we were still enemies, he saved us. What a sweet joy. God knows his people completely. Every single aspect of you. And he desires for you to know him and to be set apart from this world for his glory and for your good. So my singular challenge for you today, my one thought is you, as you walk out these doors, as you dwell on these things, as you bask in this amazing truth of the Lord, search your own heart. Search it. Hold it up against the measure of God's holiness. Don't compare yourselves to others. And see what you find there. Pray earnestly to the Lord to mold and shape that heart 
into his image and to set you apart onto his way which leads to life everlasting. Do those things. Take some time. We live in a busy world. We don't want to stop and think about anything. Let's stop and think. Let's dwell on God's goodness, his majesty, his power, his creation. All these amazing elements of who he is. And let's be about his work on this earth. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful that you would save wretches like us. We know our hearts, Lord. We can see them. We don't even know the depths of them. Lord, we know what's there. We pray, Lord, that we would be about searching our own hearts, desiring to live holy lives, set apart for you. We'd be encouraging each other, building each other up, drawing each other into true fellowship with you. Lord, we would care enough to ask those questions of our brothers and sisters, to see those smiling faces that don't quite look like a smile and ask why. Lord, I pray that you would bless us all as we think about these things, as we dwell on who you are. Lord, your amazing power to save, your, your awesomeness in, in omniscience and omnipresence. Lord, your creation of every hair and atom and molecule and all of this earth and all the cosmos. Lord, you are a, an amazing God, an awesome God. Lord, just prepare our hearts now for those who are come, staying for second service to, to receive that truth that Rick will share. Help us to just, again, reflect on your goodness in that. Reflect on your work in our lives, Lord, and cause us to take advantage of every moment of every day you give us. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.